Hi everyone, my name is Shilu and I'll be reading Luke 16, 1931. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, Remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there uh, to us." He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Thank you, Chilu. I think you guys caught on, but just in case, we've, Pastor Greg are trying this thing out where we read the scripture that we're preaching from. And so um, if ever you're like, okay, what does this you know, passage have to do with the sermon? It's, you know, we've been practicing this for about maybe a month or two now where it's what we're going to be preaching out from. And so um, so we'll get to that back in a little bit. But as, as Chilu um read from the passage, uh, and as I prepared the sermon this morning uh, and studied, it reminded me of something I really admired as a kid. And so um, growing up, I was a devout professional wrestling fan. I loved my Monday nights. I loved my Thursday nights because you had your Monday night Raw show. You had your Monday night night show show. Then Thursday, we were devoted to SmackDown. My eyes were glued on the TV whenever the wrestling show, uh, show was on. And my favorite thing about each match, it was every, every match was predictable, but the one thing I loved was at the very end when one wrestler had control of the other and they were ready to put their finishing move on them. They were set to, to perform their finisher move. And then what was awesome, what was even better, what got me out of my seat cheering and yelling, woo, was when something unexpected happened where the guy who was losing found a way to reverse the special move that was being put on him to put on the other guy and then get an upset victory. And so I decided to throw in a couple clips here. And so, Jeremiah, do you mind showing a couple of these clips of what I'm talking about? Cover! Oh, yeah. oh, Marcos wins! Oh my gosh! 
both men pushing their abilities to the limit here. This is from the middle. Turn back up. Oh, he's down. One, two, three. Yes. yes. New champion. Wow. New champion. Still gives me goose. Still gives me goosebumps even watching this, and I've seen this a thousand times. I bet you you never probably would have ever thought you'd see wrestling, professional wrestling in the church service, right? Man. And so, again, things like that just made me super excited. Even as a little kid, this idea of, like, reversals was huge. And so I remember in grade school where the teacher would line us up in alphabetical order by last name. Uh, I always got excited when one day the teacher was like, all right, we're going to do reverse alphabet. Because for once, instead of the Andersons and the Browns and the Carters, it was the Yangs and the Vangs and the Hyungs who were in front of the line. And even though I'm a moor and I always got stuck in the middle, I was like, yeah, yeah. My friends are up front. Up, up front. You know, they don't have to wait till the very end. And so this idea of the, this great reversal is always so fun. And even screen names. Growing up, my very first screen name was Asian Kid 2004. I'd love to know what your screen name was uh, growing up. And then getting older, I realized that I needed a more mature screen name. Like Asian Kid 2004 just wouldn't cut it if I was applying for a job. And so I opted for something like Kong Mo at Hotmail.com, but I didn't want to be Kong Mo 47 at Hotmail.com. I didn't want to be the 47th one. And so what I ended up doing was I decided to spell my name backwards and then decided it'd be a great idea to add uh, S-T-E-R, stir to it. And so all my, you know, throughout my college year of, of thinking that I needed a more mature screen name, I ended up going by, uh, my, my screen name was uh, essentially G-N-O-K-S-T-E-R, G Noxter, and everyone called me in college called me that because we were always on MSN uh, messenger talking to each other and sometimes people didn't know how to pronounce it so it sounded like they were clearing their throat as they were saying uh, trying to say G-N-O-K-S-T-E-R and so again I don't know about you but there was always something special for me about experiencing this reversal of event this, these turns where they're unexpected and you're like oh man this is so great but the truth is not all reversals are positive. There are some reversals that have setbacks. So think about you're driving down the highway and, and you know, you're, you're out in the country and your exit's coming up but you're not sure and you miss that turn and you're like, oh man, I've got another two miles before I could bust a U-turn and, and, and come back to my exit. Or maybe think about a medical condition. Maybe there's progress and then all of a sudden reverses and then medical progress is declining. Or maybe you lose, you lose your job, you lose your career, and, and you know, you're used to your lifestyle, but then you have to reverse to living a, a simpler lifestyle, maybe a life that's not as, as luxurious. So this morning when Chilu was reading the parable, it dealt with a reversal that two individuals experienced, and one particular dynamic that, that was involved was reversal of, 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 one of the dynamics was finances and how that was reversal that they experienced in eternity. And so as we continue on in our finance series and our money series, let's see what this passage has to say about money, reversal, and what that has to do with God's kingdom. 
And so Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31, this is a parable uh, entitled the uh, parable of Lazarus and the rich man. And like I've mentioned before, um, parables are stories that Jesus uses to teach a point. And they were very popular, very common because they borrowed a very normal everyday life situation to illustrate something that was very profound, especially profound about spiritual life, about spiritual truth. And so Jesus used a ton of parables in uh, his time doing ministry, to, and he borrowed something that was very normal, everyday life, and used it as a way to communicate a very profound spiritual truth. And so let me quickly summarize this parable for us again. And so we get the parable about a rich man who is unnamed, and he lives in luxury. At his gate, there's a beggar named Lazarus. And what's unique is Lazarus being a beggar is named in this parable. There's no point, the no point in this parable is the rich man named. He, he is left unnamed, but Lazarus is a beggar at the rich man's gate, yearning to eat any crumbs that fall from the rich man's table. So one day they both die and the rich man ends up in Hades where he's tormented. And Hades is basically a temporary place where souls are kept before God's final judgment. And last week we talked a little about how people, when people saw the rich, they thought that, hey, this guy's rich, this person's rich because they've probably obeyed God. They've probably done something right to inherit their wealth. And so in hearing this, Jesus' audience was like, wait, what's going on? This rich guy ends up in Hades? where he's tormented, huh? And so while the rich man is in Hades, he sees Abraham and he also sees Lazarus, the same beggar who's been begging his gate. And the rich man in Hades asks Abraham for pity. The rich man asks Abraham to send Lazarus to dip his finger in water to cool his tongue. But Abraham tells them that that can't be done. The separation between paradise and Hades was permanent, so people couldn't cross from one place to another. The rich man then asked Abraham to send Lazarus to his family who's still alive to warn them about what they're doing and the consequences they will face so that they will repent. And Abraham then responds by telling the rich man that they have the scriptures. And specifically, when this was written, they had just the Old Testament. And so Abraham tells the rich man, hey, they have the Old Testament to warn them. But the rich man insists that they will only repent, his family will only repent if Lazarus goes to them, if the dead goes to them. The dead comes back to life and goes to them and tells them all of this. And Abraham tells the rich man in Hades that, hey, if they don't obey God's word, they won't be convinced, even if it was Lazarus who rose from the dead to warn them. Now, there's a lot of content in this story. Some might say it's about salvation. Others might say it's about the nature of heaven and hell. Others might even talk about how it's a way to communicate between the living and the dead or, or, or the communication between heaven and hell. But the point of this parable that is that it can, communicates one truth. And so there's a lot of content, but there's that one truth that it communicates. And so in this case, the story is primarily about the rich man and what he says and what he does. And so, um, so let's, we're going to explore this and see what it says. And so it's clear that this message has, a me uh, the story has a message for us and that they are, there are consequences to our sins in this life. 
If we break down this passage a little bit more, there's three scenes in this small parable. The first scene is of life. The second part is, is the when they go right into the afterlife. And then there's the third scene is the afterlife part two. And each scene illustrates a sin that accompanies wealth. Before you say to yourself, well, I'm not wealthy, so what does this parable have to do with me? Or I'm not wealthy, I don't think I need to worry about these sins. I want us to consider these three things, myself included. In comparison to the world's economy, all of us are wealthy, all of us are rich. Even in this room, all but one of you has more money than someone else. And most of you, most of us are wealthy compared to what our parents grew up with, our grandparents grew up with, our ancestors grew up with. And so are we wealthy in our understanding of, you know, in our own understanding? You know, that's up to us to decide. But I don't think there's any exceptions because to a degree in, in the context that we're in, um, I don't think we have an exception because these three sins of wealth can also apply to us wherever we are financially in, in the socioeconomic ladder, ladder. And so let's dry, dive into these three sins and see what they talk about. In the first scene of life, we see the rich man and Lazarus being contrasted. One lives in life of luxury, the other one is begging. One wears purple, the color that's typically associated with royalty uh, and fine linens, while the other is covered in sores. The rich man had to be aware that there was a beggar who begged at his gate, but, a gate, but every day he ignored Lazarus's need. And this demonstrates the first sin of wealth. The first sin of wealth is indifference. This is a sin to be indifferent to the need of the poor. Indifference is an attitude that says, this issue doesn't concern me. It's not my business. I don't care. And we face it every day, or at least I know I face it every day when I drive, um, when I exit the highway or I'm at a busy intersection. I see panhandlers and homeless encampments. And, you know, sometimes I get that, oftentimes I'll get that uneasy feeling, but oftentimes I will respond by simply going about my day of like, it's my problem. I can't solve this. Um, you know, if they worked harder, they'd been fine. Truth is, we have to fight against this callousness towards the poor and the less fortunate and find an opportunity to serve them, resisting the pull of indifference. And so the first sin of wealth that we find here with the rich man is the sin of indifference. The second sin is entitlement. In the second sense of the parable, we find that they both die. The rich man goes to Hades and Lazarus goes to paradise. Even in Hades, the rich man still carries his sins of wealth. And in this particular scene, in the first scene of the afterlife, he still feels entitled. Entitlement is a feeling that you deserve certain privileges. You deserve special treatment or recognition over others. And even in Hades, even in the afterlife, the rich man sees Lazarus, who he ignored every day, and he asks Abraham for Lazarus to serve him by dipping his finger in water to cool his tongue. The rich man's entitlement causes him to see Lazarus below him, even in the afterlife. 
someone who could relieve him of his responsibility. He still felt entitled even in death. Many of us might have grown up in a culture or a family that endorses entitlement, where certain people are treated special over others. You don't have to care for the needs of others if they're not family. You regularly see people blame others when things go wrong. Some classes of people are allowed to feel uh, and act superior to others. And if you fall into any privileged classes within your culture or family of origin, chances are high that you've got some entitlement. And so that's the second sin that the rich man experienced of entitlement. The last sin is arrogance. The third scene also occurs in the afterlife. The rich man makes a request to Abraham after he asks Abraham to send Lazarus to dip his finger and, and cool his tongue. The rich man asks uh, Abraham to send Lazarus to warn his family members. Again, he sees Lazarus as a servant to run his errands. Abraham responds by saying that they have the scriptures to warn them. And even if they did see someone come back from the dead, it was no good because they didn't obey God's words through Moses and through the prophets. You see in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament and the scriptures that these individuals were referring to, there are plenty of commands that talk about caring for the poor, caring for the widows, caring for the orphans and the immigrants. But the rich man nor his family obeyed any of them. Instead, they struggled with their arrogance. Arrogance is only listening to yourself. Arrogance is ignoring clear and obvious commands in scripture. Arrogance is demanding your way over and over and over again. With money comes power, status, privilege, and even insecurity. And all of that leads to arrogance. The sins of wealth impacts us more than we know. The sins of indifference, the sin of Entitlements, the sin of arrogance, they all elevate an individual. But this parable cautions us against all these things. It's kind of ironic that Abraham denies the rich man's request to have Lazarus warn them about these sins. But then we find it in all of Scripture, in the whole of Scripture, in the New Testament here, warning us. And this passage, this parable, it is also an example of what the entire chapter of Luke 16 is about. And Luke 16 is also an example of what the entire gospel of Luke is about. You see, the gospel of Luke is sometimes referred to as the great reversal. That's a key theme that is crucial for us to help us understand what it means to have money and to be part of God's kingdom. And if we could sum up God's kingdom in light of Luke 16 and the parable that we read and all of Luke, I'd say it's this. That God's kingdom is a heavenly reversal of earthly standards. That God's kingdom is a heavenly reversal of earthly standards. And Jesus wants us to understand that God's kingdom is here and that it is coming So I think it's necessary for us to start considering what it means to be in his kingdom right now so that we also know when it does fully come. And one of the things that we have to understand is what that means about our money. 
I think Jesus wants us to consider what it means to have money, knowing that his kingdom is right here and that it's coming. I think of it like acclimating to the next best thing, but heaven is just so much better. Whether it's acclimating to our new phone because our new phone will help us with the, the ease of life or a new car and all the different tech in our car that will help us um, drive better or a new house. Again, getting acclimated to your new house so we could just have a better lifestyle in the house. We know there's a promise that new is going to be better, but we have to work out the growing pains and the learning curves and get familiar with the newness. But while there always will be a new phone, new car, new house, God's kingdom is it. And so I think this parable reminds us that we need to consider the current condition of how we use your money, of how we have money, and how does that look like in light of God's kingdom. I think one thing that we need to consider that the rich man had a hard time with was his condition of his heart and how he chose to dealt with his money, and if it matched or reflected God's kingdom. So instead of the sin of in being indifferent, like what the rich man experienced, where we lack sympathy for others, where we become, con- where, uh, instead of struggling with indifference, we become concerned of the well-beings of others. We show care. I think about Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, and it says this. When he, when Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Instead of entitlement, the second sin that we talked about, by believing that we deserve or are owed privileges or special treatment, instead of entitlement, maybe we become grateful. And that's a reflection of what God's kingdom is. We become thankful that's not by our own strength, but it's by someone else who provides for our needs. Philippians chapter 2 reminds me of this. That in our relationships, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. That even Jesus himself didn't feel entitled, even though he was the Son of God. And lastly, the third sin, arrogance. Instead of arrogance, instead of thinking and believing that you and I are superior to others, instead of arrogance, we become humble. And we know our place and we see others as equals or maybe we see others even as greater than ourselves. If we continue to read on Philippians chapter 2 of the verse that I read, verses 7 and 8 says this. Rather he, Jesus, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so this morning, may we find ways to acclimate ourselves from our worldly status to our heavenly standards. Because God's kingdom is a great reversal of where we're at. And so I consider all of us to take into consideration what God has blessed us with and what God says about his kingdom 
and how we can start acclimating from where we're at to where God's kingdom's at. Because we know his kingdom is here and we also know his kingdom is coming. Let me pray for us. God, as we reflect on the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Lord, so often I'm reminded of how the rich are known through their fame and their popularity and their notoriety, Lord. And in this parable, you choose not to name the rich man. And we get Lazarus, who's a beggar, and I know there's plenty of panhandlers and homeless people that I've crossed paths with and you know whether I seek to serve them or not Lord hardly do I ever ask for their name and so God would you help us acclimate from the worldly stands that we live in Lord acclimate from there to the heavenly standards that you have set for us Lord and that even though we live in this world, Lord, that when we get to heaven, a great reversal will happen. And a great reversal ha is happening, Lord. Where the rich become poor and the poor become rich. Where the hungry are full and the full become hungry. And so allow us to see the sins that we struggle with, Lord, if the sin of indifference, entitlement, arrogance, or anything else are things that we struggle with, Lord, would you place in us a heart of compassion? Like you, how you saw the helpless and you were compassionate on them. Instead of being entitled, feeling entitlement, Lord, may we be humbled. And instead of arrogance, Lord, May we serve others, see others as greater than, greater than ourselves. We know we can't do this by ourselves. And so in moments of our lives, Lord, we ask for the Holy Spirit to remind us and to prompt us, Lord, of how we can acclimate ourselves from the worldly standards of how we use our finances to a heavenly standard. And we trust in your promise, even though we might be worried about how we can be, how we can take care of ourselves and our spouse and our families that you've blessed us with. And so would you guide us and lead us, Lord, as we continue to acclimate. We thank you and we just pray and let this in your name, Lord. Amen.